Hello and welcome to the Marvel Cinema Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Henry. I'm your other co-host, Matthew. And today we're discussing our favourite franchise ending films. Mm-hmm. Uh, very fun. There's quite a, a range of franchise ending films. You never, it's never promised to be a good thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're talking about our favourites today. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, before that, just want to let you know that we do have an Instagram account at Marvel Cinema Podcast, where we do every other day reviews and weekly podcasts that come out on Monday. Um, also, we have a Twitter account at Cinema Marvelous, where we do other, every other, every other day reviews and weekly podcasts come out on Monday. Um, so yeah, you know, give us a like there, follow us, uh, leave us a review on our podcast wherever you're listening on. Uh, you know, comment on our posts. We'd like to hear some feedback. Any sort of conversation would be nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, do you want to get into your very first franchise ending film? Go on then. I, 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 I can I can guess it okay. <laughs> um, so we're going to start with one 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 of my one of one of the films that sort of I always forget about. In fact, it's a franchise I always forget about. <laughs> then remember, and then I think, oh, that's good. <laughs> um, and that is War for the Planet of the Apes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a franchise that sort of quietly gets better with each instalment, I think. Yeah, it sort of just randomly got, oh, this is pretty good. Oh, it's pretty great. Oh, shit. Oscars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm not including the, the earlier Planet of the Apes films in this. Mm-hmm. Mainly because... <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so, yeah, this sort of trilogy, you have Rise, Dawn, and War. Mm-hmm. I always get the first two mixed up. Can't remember Same. which way around they are. Same. <laughs> um, but, you know, War being the, the big finale, it's a bit of an epic film. Mm-hmm. Um, for, if, if you're not feeling it, I imagine it's a bit of a slog as well. Yeah. But I'm very much someone who, who was feeling it. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, it's a, it's a sort of a perfect culmination of what the, what the trilogy is sort of, sort of telling and where it's going. Um, and it's just bigger, bigger on scale. Um, one of the sort of main things that I feel like this has over the other two films that come before it is it's finally confident enough to ditch the human, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the human people. Like, from for the in fact, whenever you have like a I'm not saying these are necessarily monster movies, but whenever you have like a movie where the character is a non human. Mm-hmm. Like Caesar, you always end up sort of stranded with this human protagonist. Yeah. Um, in the first one, it's James. Is it James Franco. Yeah, James Franco. And then the second one is the guy who was John Connor for a bit. I also forget his name, but yeah, Clark. John Connor. John Clark. Let <laughs> <laughs> me have a look. Clark. Nope. What V Clark? No Clark. Clark Kent. Clark. Um, Jason Clark. Jason Clark. There we go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the chap. Um, so you, you got him. Um, this one sort of finally feels comfortable in letting Caesar actually be the main character, mm-hmm. um, which you know is great. And you do sort of have the human element, but the human element is just dedicated to being the villain, which is is good in my my eyes. I think that's yeah. it's a good move for the for the, for the films, and it has this grand big just finale and you feel you feel properly on the side of the apes this time as well 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like in, in the <laughs> other two, you're kind of because you you stuck you're not all stuck with because the other two are good films. Mm. But you're you're with the point of view of sort of the human character, and that sort of makes you an observer. You're sort of somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. You're not with Caesar and the Apes, but you're not with whoever the villain is. Whereas this one, it definitely feels like a two sides, and you are more invested with uh, with Caesar and the gang, Caesar and the boys, <laughs> the lads, uh, lads, lads, lads. Um, yeah. Also, weird thing. I only found out recently that Maurice is actually female. Is he? I mean, she. <laughs> well, the wow. the person that because because you know. She does speak a bit at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She does. It's about about time as well. It took her long enough. <laughs> um, but uh, apparently, yeah, the the one that voices is, is, is a woman. So I did not know that. He's female. I watch these films, assuming I guess that shows. You could probably do a study and say, look at our gender bias. Hmm. Um, but I, I always thought Maurice was a yeah. Maurice is a bit <laughs> of a legend, to be honest. In these films, kind of yeah. Bit of a champ. <laughs> <laughs> bit um, of a cham- chimpanzee. Hey, hey, hey. Hey. Even though she's never <laughs> Um What a good start. I know. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's sort of my my, uh, my first film. Do you have any thoughts on War of the Planet of the Apes? Uh, yeah, I definitely I definitely really, really like it. And um I kind of find the whole trilogy kind of fascinating in terms of it kind of came out of nowhere. Um, mm-hmm. if you told me like, imagine this film never happened, and you told me that they're making a prequel to Planet of the Apes. My reaction is like an eye-rolling kind of, why? What, why? What, why? Um, and I don't I don't think I love the first movie. I think I just like it, and I have my issues with it, but I don't... Mm-hmm. And I definitely see why, as a standalone, it really works quite well. Um, and it's definitely better, way better than you would probably expect, and it genuinely is a good film. Um but I think with Matt Reeves and the second and third film, it just becomes its own beast. <laughs> um, and it's totally just, it's so great. <laughs> um, and I kind of like the fact that this the series slowly kind of moves towards a very black and white morality kind of war thing going on. Mm-hmm. Um, again, like you're saying, it starts out kind of, it's the human perspective on this event for the most part. Um mm-hmm. And the second film was very much 50-50 between the ape and humans. And there's bad guys on both sides, but also there's Caesar on one side. And there's also Jason Clark on the other side. And it's kind of even playing field for, like, what, who do you care about more? Um, even though, technically, you know where it's going because you've seen the first film. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but the third film, yeah, I definitely think is a great conclusion. I love, the, I love Woody Harrelson in that role. Mm-hmm. Um, he plays... I never think I would. I never really would expect it, but he plays a, a stone cold, emotionally kind of uh, driven soldier really, really well. Um, and yeah, I think it's, I think it's a pretty, like it's a pretty great trilogy all around, and that's becoming very much rare that we get a great trilogy. Mm. Um, it's also one that's just generally underrated, I think. Yeah, because like, whenever you say it, like just now, like when you said it, I was like, oh yeah, that is a trilogy. But then I think about it, I'm like, oh yeah, I loved it when I watched it. Um, it's just a weird thing, I guess. Mm. Uh, it's also like, um, best is like a cinema experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, especially the third one. Mm-hmm. Um, I also love the fact that the film really commits to the ending being like, oh, we're finally at the Planet of the Apes, mm-hmm. the way we know it. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it really works. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. It's a great third chapter and I think a pretty great blueprint for a, a perfect like kind of conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. So. Uh, have, you got, have you got your first one? Yeah, I think... So I think my list overall is very much controversial. Oh, hello. <laughs> I really went for it. My first one is probably the least controversial pick ever. Okay. Um, it's definitely one that everyone kind of somewhat agrees on, that I know of at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to go for the ultimate film, the ultimate third chapter, the ultimate franchise-ending film, uh, Return of the King, Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, I To me, this is this is just perfect this is just the best we've ever done ever we can quit now um (laughs) it's just it's kind of a a miracle as a trilogy to begin with um and the fact that people weren't really in on high fantasy dragons and elves sort of things at that time period and even now you could argue no one's particularly think that's not really the main thing going on in pop culture right now (laughs) (laughs) but it's weird that these three films came out and people, I imagine probably kind of begrudgingly, I think that's the word, um, kind of went to the cinema thinking, oh, fine, it's, it's a big movie. People seem to be talking about it. And then finding themselves kind of coming out like, what happens to Frodo? <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's crazy. And I think that's, it's an amazing trilogy. And I think each film is kind of just perfect. I only really have issues with the second film. And even then, they're very, very small. Um, and the third film, you could have your arguments for what was cut, cut out of the book, what could have been kept in from the book, or, you know, arcs that were kind of wrapped up for the sake of, well, we've got a battle to do, and that's kind of the main part of this. <laughs> so there is some, there is moments of that in the third film, but it's just a perfect ending. Um, and it has four hours, and I think, the, I think at least, and I think a recent uh, franchise concluding film kind of proves this rule um, I always think that if you're concluding a franchise you need it to be a long movie um, to feel satisfying across the board um, it has to be an I, epic yeah it has to, Yeah, it has to be an epic I don't think I think there has been good finales that have been the average two and a half hour kind of blockbuster thing um, that have definitely worked out but I don't think there's something about the four-hour or three-hour kind of epic runtime of a finale that really, really works and helps. It helps the entire film and the whole entire like trilogy or franchise to me at least. Um, and but yeah, this is a perfect ending, and it's again I think it's an argument, and I think I love making this argument whenever I bring this up as when people say that the the film has too many endings where the film keeps on fading to black only to come back and have like a different scene that wraps up something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and whilst I do understand that, I think the visual gimmick of being fading to black each scene is a really odd choice <laughs> because people, have, it's been a four hour film, people either need to go to the toilet or need to go <laughs> uh, somewhere. So I think fading to black kind of a weird kind of bait and switch. But I think it's a great example of when you go to these these movies or any movie really, do you care about the plot or do you care about the story? Um, if you care about the plot, sure, you can leave after they've won the battle and the thing's been destroyed and yeah, good as won, evil as lost. Because technically the plot is over. Um, but the story and what all that meant um, 
what it was saying through every plot action. Um, that is far from over, and that's why the film has another like twenty minutes on its runtime of just kind of wrapping up the story, especially around Frodo. Um, and it's again the time. It's the time that really lends a hand there, where it isn't a film that has the plot wrap up, and then from that, and it doesn't. It's not like the bad thing, but it is a kind of a gimmick where the plot wraps up, and then the ending after that is very much just kind of a. Uh, a montage of all the characters having their specific endings um, which can work and it does work many times but I just think the long run time of a franchise ending film really helps with the whole spend 20 minutes just living with the after effects of this mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and kind of just because again the ending to Lord of the Rings is Return of King doesn't really have that much dialogue either it's very much just great actors doing great work and really showcasing everything visually um and the music does the talking for a lot of the scenes and it's very much a slow kind of going through the whole thing and kind of living within the triumph and the defeat of it all um and it's just it also it's also quite a brave film i think it makes choices i mean obviously because of the book made these choices first but you know uh frodo doesn't necessarily win it is kind of a a circumstantial um, winning sort of situation where the ring kind of fell by itself <laughs> um, and it's kind of this weird thing for him where it's like I guess we won but I kind of fucked it <laughs> um, so yeah, I love the fact that it makes so many strong choices like that at the same time as giving us uh, a happy ending um, a kind of a happy con- conclusion to the story um, but yeah I think it's a I think it's the blueprint and probably not only one of the best, I think it's the best uh, trilogy or franchise ending film. Um, but I think it's one of the best films ever made, really, honestly. <laughs> um, and it got a lot of Oscars, so that kind of makes me feel confident saying that. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Do you agree with any of this? <laughs> yeah. Um, just to touch on what you said at the end of there, but I think the fact that this is a film. You know, this is a, a big budget fantasy blockbuster. And the fact that it broke that barrier and did win as many Oscars as it did probably speaks to how how big of an achievement this is. Obviously the Oscars aren't the be on end all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the fact that they recognise this in a big way mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of kind of, you know, it's kind of transcended things. <laughs> transcended yeah. barriers. The true power of film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 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 you know we were talking about with Planet of the Apes, you know the the finale's got, you know it, it's an epic kind of big thing to end the franchise, and like you said, you have to have a big ending. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it has to be a long thing, and it has to be you going for it full on, and that that's what this is. Mm-hmm. This is the definition. If you look up <laughs> big ending in the in the dictionary. <laughs> Return of the King is there. Absolutely, yeah. It is. And it's the it, this in many ways. It has become the template as well. Oh yeah. Um, you know, Lord of the Rings was something that I never got into when I was younger. Not in the same way that a lot of other people did. Mm-hmm. Um, I only it was only a couple of years ago that I actually watched the three of them. Mm-hmm. I know. Um, you know, that's one. Of, that's my controversial offering of today. <laughs> um, and and, and sort of as a result of that, it's 
probably not, you know, when I, when I, when I think about my personal favourite franchises, the movies, Lord of the Rings isn't necessarily in there. Mm-hmm. But I cannot deny what they are. Oh, yeah. They are spectacular it's... films, and they are so just well-constructed, and every sort of frame has passion oozing out of it of people that you can tell really wanted to make this. Mm-hmm. And they made, like, really smart choice, choices as well. Um, mm-hmm. Because sometimes when you get people that are passionate about the source material, you can really run into the problem of they don't cut anything out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um which sometimes is the case with some films, and I think it's, for the most part, to the detriment of the story of a two-hour narrative. Um, or in this case, like a three-hour, four-hour narrative. Um, and I th- again, just to kind of wrap up the idea of the third film and what it should be, I guess, I think one of the great things about this film is that it isn't just... It doesn't, it doesn't settle for this being the big payoff. Um, it very much is its own movie in a lot of ways. It again, it definitely, definitely helps that I've seen the previous two, um, but if you'd watch this film by itself, it's not like you wouldn't understand what the film is trying to say and how it's saying it and uh, the conflict that's kind of overriding the entire movie. Um, and I, again, I think it's a great example is the opening of the film is is very subversive and very odd, and it's the only kind of thing you can get away with. If you have two films that came before it that were big successes, <laughs> um, where it's a completely non-plot related thing. It's a flashback to a character who is not the character we see him as, as in this flashback. And it's essentially the conflict and the idea of the story in a very, in this one scene and it happens and we just move on to the actual story. And as the story progresses, you realize you're watching a film that's trying to answer the question that was posed by the very first scene in the film. Um, and it's it's kind of a miracle that these films got made, and I think it's yeah, I, yeah, it, perfect <laughs> all around. And also, you got Legolas like destroying an elephant all in one go. Like, I mean, come on, you got those little ghosts in the army, and ah, oh, come on, it's the best, it's the best. <laughs> That's all I got to say. It's kind of everything. <laughs> yeah, ghosts, elephants. What more could you want? Those two things. Top of any wish list. (laughs) But yeah, do you want to move on to your next one? Uh, We can do. Um, Sticking with the the grandiose kind of thing. (laughs) The grandiose finale. I've kind of cheated. This isn't the final film in the franchise, but as far as I'm concerned, it is. Yeah. Um, And that is um, Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. This is on my list too. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Thought it might be. Um, this sort of... This this very much sort of takes a leaf out of the Lord of the Rings book, I think. Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, it's you know, the the two sequels to Black Pearl were both filmed in a very short space of time, which, again, I think Lord of the Rings was as well, wasn't it? Yeah, all at once. Yeah. Um, and... I will always love the Pirates of the Caribbean, these the original three Pirates of the Caribbean films. Mm-hmm. It's something we've talked about a lot. Um, but in, and but one of the main reasons behind that for me is that it's just... I can just imagine it's a load of people in a room that decide to make this and think, so we're doing this, let's go for it. <laughs> yeah. Let's absolutely leave nothing, leave nothing behind. We're going to go big and we're not going to go home. 
We're going to go yeah. big, and if the people don't like it, that's fine, but we will have left everything in this film. <laughs> We've got nothing more to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's just this big epic, and similar to what you were saying about the elephants and the ghosts, mm. it's two ships, two famous <laughs> mythical ships, mm-hmm. battling it out, bashing each other with the, the cannonballs over a maelstrom. Yeah. <laughs> there are people having sword fights on the on um what are they called? A sail poles, mast sail masts yeah. with chests and it everything's watery, people are screaming, people are getting <laughs> married. Yeah. <laughs> and that was just the last what half hour, hour? And yeah. before that you have all this sort of mythical where the where the pirate kings there's this mm. secret place with the pirate council yeah. And we're going, we're going, we're going to David Jones' locker, and there are there are there's a ship being carried by some rock crabs, and <laughs> and we've got to we we got to we got to move the ship upside down, mm-hmm. and we've got Calypso, just doing a thing, <laughs> going yeah, going big, <laughs> and and it, and to, throughout all of that as well, to just be able to retain the charm. <laughs> yeah, this film just naturally has its cast with an excellent performances from you know, Johnny Depp, Orlando Bloom, Kieran Knightley, and Bill Nye. How could we forget Bill Nye? Bill Nye is killing it all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. The most probably in terms of, especially in terms of blockbusters, but one of the most underrated and underappreciated villain and villain performances. Absolutely, I agree so much. <laughs> you say you see on lists, it's always always Darth Vader. It's always Thanos, and I don't, I don't disagree with. I love them to bits. And then you have you have your Anton Chigurh, and you have you have all those, but they always miss Davy Jones. Always do, and that is a crime. <laughs> because honestly, mm-hmm. just look at him. And he looks so good. This is what let me just check the year. Um, <laughs> Justin, it's like the mid two thousands, I think. Yeah. It's another look. Um, World's End, 2007. 2007, look at him. Jesus that is better Christ. than most effects these days. It, it's incredible that for uh, Dead Man's Chest and At World's End, they're both like very long movies, and he's in it for <laughs> quite a bit, that at no point does he ever look remotely CGI or fake. Um, it's incredible. And he's wearing like a pyjama suit the entire way through. He's not even wearing the outfit. Like, come on. <laughs> It's yeah, just just Govabinsky. Thank you. Yeah, Gov all around Gov. Yeah, Verbinski. I love him so much. <laughs> Wrangle, like what the fuck is Wrangle? <laughs> <laughs> it shouldn't have worked, but it did. It did yeah. It did the ring as well? Jesus. Oh god. god. Did he? Did he do the ring as well? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's a horror film, but directed for the most part until. I say until Pirates of the Caribbean, but for the most part, these films are horror films. Um, oh, yeah, they are. Yeah, they have real severe horrorness to them. Yeah, especially especially the third one, I would say, because the third one has a lot of just odd imagery and just really... I mean, there's a scene where David Jones like t- puts all his tentacles on the side of a human being and kills him. Um, there's so many weird things. Um and again, like we were saying before, I think in the finale, you need that epic feeling of a long run time. Um, and the third film was three hours long. Um, and it, I think it totally, totally deserves to be for the amount of things it's doing at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And it's quite a complex plot. Like, there's a lot of things going on at the same time, and a lot of parallel kind of character development, and there's a lot of kind of crisscrossing between who's friends with who, um, which one's alliancing with each other. Is who's evil? Is he the more evil, or is this one the more evil? Um, the Kraken died in between films. Um, it's kind of a... It's kind of a again, kind of a miracle <laughs> of a, I guess, a duology the the two sequels because I think it's always incredible. The first film, it's so entertaining and so like structured, uh, structurally uh, like tight and quite very much a free act kind of two hour story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very much, it's a very good example of, but it's still very much an adventure film, um, and when you go from that. So even from the beginning of the second film, it's goes from like being an adventure kind of swashbuckling sort of thing to full on just like depression kind of <laughs> war is coming um, and everyone's going to die and the aims of the pirates all over and uh, Jack Sparrow's in a coffin when we, when we meet him and um, the wedding's off in the first film and uh, Will Turner and Elizabeth Spawn don't even really spend that much time together in the entire film. Um, and it has, again, it has that Empire Strikes Back sort of thing of a sequel where it kind of, um, splits all the characters out, uh, away from each other. And then the third film being the kind of, well, now that they're back together and it's, they've experienced all this development away from each other, do they fit together still? Um, and it's a question that the film kind of keeps on trying to create conflict from and kind of adding backstory to it and trying to make Will, Will turn it more into Jack Sparrow in some way, which I find really interesting. Um, he kind of becomes... Because in the first film, Will Turner is very much the kind of squeaky clean, cool guy. <laughs> um, he has, you know, a weird history with pirates, but not really anything that bad. Um, and he kind of saves a day, and he wins a girl, and it's all kind of nice and all on blooms, attractive and... All having a fun time, right? <laughs> um, and then the next film and the third film was just this guy. God, he's got some issues. <laughs> his dad's back from the dead, and he's he can't decide between either killing David Jones and locking his heart away forever, or staying with his wife. Or and throughout the entire third film, he's trying to be a bit more Jack Sparrow esque in some ways, um, and it's just he didn't have to go that. You didn't have to go that far with it, Vincent. You didn't have to go that deep. You didn't have to make it that operatic or grand, or you didn't have to. You didn't. You didn't have to question any core principles that these characters ever had in the first film, but you did, and I really, really appreciate it. And you've made a great trilogy, and the fourth and fifth films do not exist, and I'm very sorry that they happened. Um, and I wouldn't. I always wonder if for uh, Vinsky has a TV. And he watches TV and he sees an advert for Pirates Caribbean 5. I wonder what he thinks about it. <laughs> Just, they're still making these. And I finished it. <laughs> <laughs> God, Disney, come on. Put yourself together. <sighs> you had a perfect ending there. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. I know, it just... One of the, what was that? A crime. A crime, that's what it is. It is a crime. They went from... They went from at world's end to on screen to tides. I mean, god damn it! It's it's, it's also it's a sort of scenario where 
why why would you even try? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, obviously, aside from the fact that they saw saw the money, mm-hmm. but why why how would you even? It's like James Cameron syndrome. How do you follow that? <laughs> how do you follow aliens? <laughs> <laughs> there's just no way. There's no, there's no way. There's more than one. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Have you got a new, you got another one to go to? <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, again, this might not be the end of the franchise, considering what the rumors are at the moment. Um, but I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go for another controversial pick. I'm going to go for Spider-Man Three. Which, yeah, which is I have my issues with it. I think everyone has their issues with it at some point. Um, but again, it's it's definitely unique and it's definitely doing something and it's saying something and it's it's trying its damn hardest and it's a film that for me always feels until the very last 20 minutes like it's trying to do its hardest which is not what you want it's, it's not what you want to feel during a film that they're trying to do it um mm-hmm. but for me i think it's really the the culmination and the, the last 20 minutes of that film that really makes me go oh thank god we got here because the previous kind of plot threads if we weren't going here i was going to be very worried <laughs> um because it's it, it is i think it's the case of this film like we've been saying all the way through, it should have been a three-hour epic. Um, and instead, it's just kind of a two-hour, 15-minute kind of average blockbuster runtime. Um, meaning we have we have three villains, uh, Goblin, New Goblin, sorry, New Goblin, um, Sandman, Venom, and I guess Peter Parker, for the most part. Because uh, he's, he's a right villain, this one, isn't he? Right <laughs> Got him. <laughs> Um, but for the most part I do I do really love this movie and I think it's it's a film that didn't again similar to Paris Caribbean in the sequel didn't really have to do this but it did Um, and kind of made our main character face some really tough questions (laughs) Um, and made him kind of a prick and kind of unlikable and and not only is this like the the kind of unusual case of making your hero the villain but making Spider Man like Spider Man, the the kid of the, the everyone the the kid the every man uh, teenager young adult to be in a hero kind of relatable character, making him kind of the main like villain of your third film is really really odd and it it acts I think it's part of the film that really works for me the most. Um, aside from elements of Sandman and elements of the New Goblin and. The Mary Jane's kind of relationship, I always think it's a really a high point with that franchise, despite the kind of... We have to save her from being killed at the end of the film, all the time, every time, every film. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I do think it's it's a film where, if I look at it look at it, and I go, I love that plot thread, and I love that plot thread, and I do see what you were trying with the Venom plot thread. Um, it's a film that, on the whole, I would say I do love, but I think it's just one of those things where put it together into a two and a half, two and a fifty minute, two hour fifty minute runtime, and you're kind of doing it all at once. It's very much I need time away from this film, and I want to come back to it after I thought about it for a really long time <laughs> because it's so much going on <laughs> at all times, um, and you can really feel it, unfortunately. But 
That being said, it's a film that's really trying to do something unique, and I think it does it for the most part very well. Um, making revenge the main theme of your third movie is pretty incredible, I think, and pretty uh, remarkable. And at the same time, you got Sam Raimi just... Ha- uh, even though he was clearly stressed during this movie, there's very, been a lot of behind-the-scenes talk after the movie came out of, like, Avi Arad just being himself um, <laughs> um, and just general kind of time schedule and stuff like that. I mean, you don't really feel that behind the camera. I always feel like that. This is, this is a Sam Raimi movie, just being Sam Raimi. Um, it's full of whip pans and all the usual bag of tricks and all the fun and all the... I still think it has some of the best action in any superhero movie. Um, the train fight in particular, like the subway kind of train mm, fight with yeah. Sandman. People love to talk about the, the dancing down the street, the jazz club dancing and all that. But I think people forget that there is elements that are like truly quite dark in this film when our hero in the black suit um, uh, pushes the Sandman's face into a train mm-hmm. as his face rots away to the wind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, this is a pretty brutal third film for a trilogy of films that are, for the most part, quite... Yeah, I would say serious, but also quite, like, cheesy and quite romantic and quite... Mm-hmm. It kind of has that su- Superman 1978 feel of quite a hazy... It's realistic, but it's still not quite our world um, reality. Um, and so for the third film to be so kind of injecting so much darkness and brutality within the comic books and uh, sincerity is i think it's oddly a thing that worked for me that shouldn't i feel like it shouldn't do but it does <laughs> um but yeah how do you feel about spider-man 3 i it's one that obviously i, I remember it sort of coming out i remember i remember playing the game <laughs> i love the game as well <laughs> um but, but back in the day when i you know i was young i was fr- fresh to films and something something that I wish that more people maybe did, or something that I was able to do more often. So I, I do I do try and do this now. Mm-hmm. But to be able to see a film for its good parts, mm-hmm. because when I, whenever I was a kid and sort of I never I, ne- I never liked the dancing down the street bit. Mm-hmm. I never really liked the emo Peter Parker stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in my mind as a kid, I was like. Yeah, I'm not keen on this bit, but I'm just going to go play with my toy because in 10 minutes, the good stuff will be back. <laughs> yeah. And it never bothered me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's sort of an, an approach that I, I, I try to make with, with any film, that with parts I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that keen on, the fact that there are brilliant parts here. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are, there are genuine scenes, like I always talk about Sandman's origin, in this film, just even the scenes where Sandman's just introduced, he yeah. goes to see his 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 his, his daughter or the little family, and and this, I think he has a conversation with I can't remember if it's his wife or his ex wife. I think it's his ex wife at this point. Mm. Yeah, and then he he runs off and he ends up in in the the um, mixer thing, <laughs> the science um, thing, <laughs> and then and then another scene. I kept forgetting about is I think it's just after Peter goes to see Harry in the hospital mm-hmm. uh, and he has a conversation with with um, Aunt May 
Mm. I can't remember exactly this particular conversation. I'm just sat there thinking, oh, Sam, <laughs> we don't deserve you. Yeah, it's like um, a story about uh, Aunt May getting proposed to by Uncle Ben. Yes, yes, I think yeah. that's the one. And you just think that's just, I just soothe my soul. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, that, that sort of cheesiness that sometimes people don't like. I think we saw it a lot with the reception to Wonder Woman 84. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that people people aren't always disagree, agreeable on. You know, how cheesy or how how comic booky in a way. <laughs> yeah. How on the nose and how direct these films can uh, films are allowed to be. Mm-hmm. Um and the, the the moments where it just it's just sincere. <laughs> and it's it just reminds me so much of, of the other two and it, it's it's clear that it, it is meant is part of the same franchise. It's not been taken over or anything like that. I mean there was obviously studio intervention. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's that's just what happens with Sony. <laughs> All the time. Um, but there's just so much in there that I love. Mm-hmm. I think you, you you touched on most of it, but it's just the sincerity of it and just the glow. I know it's something, <laughs> something so simple, like the colour grading and the white shot. It just has that glow. Yeah, it, it does. Just, it just has... makes you feel a bit safe. It does. <laughs> it has that. Also, it kind of has that weird thing of just. It's such a. It reminds me again, like films keep on talking about of uh, Babinski and uh, Peter Jackson um, and uh, Matt Reeves of the uh, the Apes, where it's very much you feel like it's an M. Matt Reeves film or a Sam Raimi film, mm. um, and despite all the producer behind the scenes, whatever, and the the kind of jumbled kind of spinning plates plot where we're kind of doing things all at the same time, um, it's the fact that you can really feel the Raiminess of it all. Um, and him trying to make Spider-Man 3 just be Spider-Man 2, but one more. <laughs> um, kind of this a continuation where in the next film, the whole plot revolves around Peter Parker trying to find a way to romantically marry uh, Mary Jane. And I think it's great that this film, as, much, as many plot threads as it does have, um, it always kind of reverts back to Peter and Mary Jane, or Peter and Aunt May, or Harry and Peter kind of having their back and forth. Um, mm-hmm. And it always comes back down to that. And it always comes back to these characters and their them trying to progress in their relationships, but kind of being held back by these, for the most part, kind of petty grievances and being kind of uh, made more powerful by the, the, the black suit. Um, and again, I totally agree that, you know, the black suit kind of just appears out of nowhere. It mm-hmm. kind of lands next to them in the park. Um, and Sandman just happens to fall into the science thing. Um, and Green Goblin just kind of pops up in the film out of nowhere. Because, um, again, I didn't really realise this until recently, but the second film, my favourite film of all time, <laughs> ends with uh, Harry Osborn um throwing a knife into the mirror and it reveals the kind of green goblin lair. Um and I always find it kind of odd now that at the end there he says, I won't uh kill Peter Parker because my father died and all these sort of things. Um he says no and it's weird to me and I can't unsee it now that the third film begins 
with him coming out of the the chamber like trying to kill Peter Parker. <laughs> I'm like, when did that happen? Um, but again, it kind of, at the very least, it it does the work in between the moments of plot, and then it comes together at the end for me for a really a really really strong finale. Um, mm. And yeah, I I love this film. It's kind of one of those films where. You're not perfect, but you're my friend, you know? <laughs> it's one of those things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to move on to your next one? Um, yeah, yeah, we can do. Um, so I'm, I'm going to have changed to the one that I, barely really, I haven't really talked about. It's um, a trilogy that my dad absolutely adores. It's probably his favourite trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the third Back to the Future film. Oh, okay. Um, so I think it's it's kind of a given that um, generally the so the second two in this trilogy aren't quite as good as the first one. Yeah, I would agree. I think that's <laughs> it's it's something that I, I probably agree with, and it's you know it's something that a lot of people also do. However, I don't think that stops the second two from being enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think on the last rewatch. I found the second one to be a bit, a bit, a bit, a bit slow. Yeah, I, I think the second one's definitely my least favorite. <laughs> mm-hmm. However, you come to this, and it, again, it, it brings us back to the what I said about Pirates of the Caribbean, and that they're just going for it. Mm-hmm. And the the third one is like a full on sci fi western hybrid. Yeah, you know, they completely commit to the idea of so. Yeah, we're going to the wild west. <laughs> We're going to do this super cheesy comic book movie-inspired western as if, as, if, as if we're going to meet Clint Eastwood himself. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just, I just love how just, yeah, let's go for it is. <laughs> and, and yeah, it, 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 it's, not a, it's not quite, it doesn't quite have that edge like the, the, the first film does. Because the first film is, you know, it's an all-conquering sci-fi classic, mm-hmm. and it is for a reason. Um, but I, I do, I do still love part three, mm-hmm. just for the, just for the. I, I don't even know how to describe it. <laughs> just for the, very, the feel of, of fun it has. Yeah, it's very, it's a very unique third chapter. Mm. Um, I mean, yeah. as well, a lot, a lot of these things it can come across sometimes as wacky hijinks after wacky hijinks. Mm-hmm. I feel like the second one suffers from not the most. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this one, for some reason, any hijinks or anything like that, it feels embraced mm-hmm. because yeah, you know, they, they 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 do sort of happen in the first one. Um, but. Again, it just gets embraced and it's handled really well. And I find that the, 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 third, the third one does. There are a lot of aspects that... And as well, it, it sort of completes... Mar- um, is it Marty? Marty? McFly? McFly? Oh, my God. Marty McFly? Marty, it's Marty McFly, isn't it? His first name is Marty. I think it is. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, Marty McFly. <laughs> anyway, so um, yeah, and it sort of thoroughly completes the the arc that he uh, that he has throughout these films of you know doesn't like being called chicken, 
<laughs> and it feels weird to me in that these sort of two films you have Back to the Future Part Two and and Part Three. Again, I'm pretty sure they were shot back to back as well. Yeah, I think so. Because at the end yeah. of the second one, you have a super weird next year. Yeah. Go back to the. Well, it has like a little full on trailer at the end. It like it's in part of the out. film. Yeah, yeah. It's so weird. It freaks me out every time. It, it's like watching. Imagine watching Avengers of the War at the end of the credit. Not even at the end of the credits. As soon as the credits start, you see a trailer for Endgame and it says, Come come over to cinema next year. And that's on the Blu ray forever. That like That's forever into the film. <laughs> come mm-hmm. over next year in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and such a weird sort of self-contained nature of these films mm-hmm. but I just I just feel myself having fun just so much fun in that seeing this sort of arc concluded and who can forget sort of the legendary score these films have oh yeah you put that score to anything <laughs> and yeah and, and one of the things I also really love about these films is Whenever they change something in the past, it like reverberates to when they go back to the future, and you have like little things how their names changed. <laughs> yeah. Like I think well, the one in this is that um, they stop um, Doc Brown's love interest Clara from going over the side of a cliff, mm-hmm. and the cliff they go over is named in the future is called Clayton, Clayton something or other, and because yeah. that's the name of the woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. However, um, the Go Back to the Future is no longer named that. It's called something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think probably the famous one is the pine thing. Yeah, it's like little kind of fun things that I think really stand out as the best time travel hijinks. Like mm. just really small things. <laughs> mm. And it, it, it's a film that for the most part, or a, a trilogy that for the most part has a pretty good grasp of its rules. Mm. Yeah. Because um, sometimes you, you you get the impression that it's just like, yeah, we're doing this. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> Don't even worry about it. And again, I find that completely fine. Like a lot of people are often uh, tied into the idea that every little thing has to be explained. Every little change has to be explained. I'm very much of the mind of, you don't have to. Yeah. I just let, it, let me fill in the blanks. Time travel, I think, is in movies make your own rules and then stick to them as much as you can. <laughs> yeah, it. It, it, just 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 try your best. If it doesn't quite yeah. work, no one's going to hold it. Well, people are going to hold it against you. I'm not going to hold it against you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. And so yeah, it's sort of, it's a film that, it's a weird one. It's not the heights that the first one reached, like we've talked about these other films, like War of the Planet of the Apes and Lord of the Rings, where this third entry is the best one of the bunch. Mm-hmm. I don't think it is in this case. Yeah. But it's still massively enjoyable and really satisfying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, I think it's... I think this is my most... Not most, but like one of my controversial opinions is that I think the second Back to the Future is very... It's kind of a weak film. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of almost don't like it, but I think the film saves itself from being really... Not bad, but just not as quite as good by just being quite fun i think there's a lot of just i think for the most part going to the future the actual like 2015 future and then going to the the first film and like kind of redoing that but quite different Mm -hmm. i think 
that is such a fun idea and such a fun concept that mm. and well handled in the film that I think mm. it it really helps that film from becoming complete filler. Um, yeah. And it's such a weird thing for the film to do because I get that you film the films at the same time, but I don't think they quite realise like that doesn't mean you can just have a one hour plot and kind of stretch it over two hours mm-hmm. and then kind of do the next film and just completely just wrap it up all in that film because the weird thing about this film is nothing really kind of happens aside from the 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 ending of the film the when they go to the to the um uh to the well west um because the rest of the film is pretty much just someone stole a, a sports almanac and we gotta fix that and again it works with the film i do think it has a, a solid plot and it is very fun but character arc wise, there's not really a George McFly sort of thing going on. Um, mm, no, there isn't. It's like I said, it's very much the arc spread over the two films. Yeah, it's and Mike McFly kind of gets a hint of an arc um, mm-hmm. with his whole. He doesn't like being called chicken, but even then, it's kind of not particularly good arc. It's kind of just kind of a it's kind of just there, honestly, <laughs> to the it's point not, where that, that doesn't actually get resolved until the end of the third one. Yeah, yeah, and even in the third film. It's like a thing where you kind of watch and you go, oh, yeah, that was a thing that was in the other film, <laughs> the mm. whole chicken thing. Um, so I think the third film for me is always one that kind of saves the sequels from being disappointing on the whole by just yeah. being an actual film. <laughs> I think it's also odd that, um, for me, sometimes when I rewatch the second one, I think that a lot of what happens in that third one should have been the finale. <laughs> yeah. Like it's odd in that I feel like going back to revisit things that you've already done isn't something you can do straight after you've done it. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like it's like in Endgame, like they go back to certain times, but you could only get away with doing that when it's right at the end and far enough away from when the first time you did it. Yeah, it's yeah, and it's just kind of, it just feels like the most on the nose kind of sequel where we do the first one again because we're literally doing the first one again. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do think it's, I think it's a probably, it's a good film. And I think it's definitely my second favourite in the franchise. Um, it's not as perfect as the first film is, because that no, film is perfect. <laughs> um, but the third film, and also I just really like the idea that they gave Doc Brown something to do character-wise. Mm. He's no longer just a wacky exposition machine. He's kind of actually <laughs> there to have a character arc, and it's quite fun, and I think it's quite good i like his ending i like the whole train thing mm-hmm. <laughs> um but yeah i totally agree that it's, it's a good finale for me definitely yeah have you got an, have you got another one uh yeah uh okay so okay so my next one again another controversial pick mm-hmm. another oh shit again i forgot it's not actually the franchise ending because we're getting a new one soon um <laughs> I'm going to go for the third Matrix film. Mm, I actually um, thought that's what you were going to say after the um, third from Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, well, I think the the perfect Henry time for movies was definitely 2006-2007. Because mm-hmm. um, you got Spider-Man 3 and you got, you got the Dark Knight coming about in a bit and then you got Iron Man coming around in a bit and all those other things and and at this point in time, I was probably catching, catching, up, uh, catching up on all films, which is probably The Matrix at this point. Um, and all these finales have something very much in common, which is that they're all doing a bit too much in too little time, but I really love them anyway. Um, 
And it's weird because the Matrix, the third Matrix film is, uh, I think it's nearly two. I don't even think it's two hours long, but I think it's nearly two, two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's essentially, it's for the most part just a third act for two hours. Um, it is a very kind of twenty minute setup for the oncoming ending, the the oncoming war for all things, uh, and then the film kind of just goes. And now we are ending for the rest of the runtime, <laughs> and it is, and it. I love it. I really do. I love it a lot. And I think it's. And I heard someone who I do like really respect on on um, on Twitter once, like a real, like a, a real critic. Uh, critic. <laughs> um, and he said something, and it really made me feel kind of validated in my opinion. Um, he kind of replied to someone's tweet. And he's like, it's, "We should probably be talking about the mythic revolution of the same wavelength as." Uh, Mad Max Fury Road, and I was like, you know what? Yeah, <laughs> let's go for that um, because it's an absolutely insane film. Uh, the third film in the franchise because it's like I said, it's kind of the third act to this Reloaded's first two acts. Um, so the second film has that kind of Back to Future thing where the second film was very much not quite a full film. Um, but I would say Nature's Reloaded is very much. I would say a better sequel in that case for actually concluding its own film before doing the third film. <laughs> uh, but, and then the third film in this tra- franchise, The Matrix, the third Matrix film, it starts out with like a random explosion of gold. And you don't really know why, because the previous two started with this, this green cord going down the screen. Um, and you have no idea what this weird golden explosion means and why we're going through golden space and what's happening. Um, and then the film kind of just... It kind of just weirdly pays off for two hours straight. Um, and it's one of those things where you would be so confused if you watched this film and hadn't seen the previous two. <laughs> this is not a Spider-Man 3 sort of thing where it's kind of its own narrative or... Even Return of the King, where you can understand it based off the opening or whatever, it's very much kind of just things are happening a lot, <laughs> um, and for me it totally works. And it's it's one of those films where, and I, I think what the guy that I kind of uh, saw on Twitter was kind of trying to make a parallel to was is that the fact that the last Matrix film is very much similar to Mad Max Fury Road in the sense that it's very much a two-hour action film. That's all action. <laughs> The entire way through, um, you I whenever you're not in a in a Nebuchadnezzar like that little ship like doing flips and trying to escape robots, you're either doing that or you're on the ground with the soldiers trying to kill all the robots that are coming in, or you are in the Matrix doing kung fu, or you are Neo who has just been blinded, and then he's gonna try to go into the machine city city which has never been done before. And he has to go into the Matrix to go down to the Matrix where Agent Smith took over the entire Matrix in Lightning and Thunder. And so we got all that happening at the same time. And on top of that, we got, on top of that, we got a little, little fun, really fun flying battle with Neo and Agent Smith concluding the entire trilogy. And I think this film is great. <laughs> um, I think it's... I, I really do like the second film, The Matrix Reloaded. Um, it has that kind of issue of uh, bread... What do you call it? Bread spread over too, too, too little bread? What is it? Too, li- <laughs> too little butter spread over too much bread. There we go. It's that sort of thing. <laughs> that issue. Um, 
and it kind of has a lot going on, but at the same time, not very much going on. Um, but at the same time, it kind of has that Wachowski thing where it's so it's so imaginative and so unique and so odd and not what you would expect from a sequel. Um, that I can't help but love it a lot. And therefore, having a third film that kind of just goes, and now we're going to wrap it all up in just maximum practical effects, CG, integration, Wachowski's fun. Um, it's it's incredible to me that they did that. And I think, I think I've mentioned this before, but I always love a sequel that doesn't just make it the first one again. Um, it's very much... It's not the Matrix Two. It is very much the Empire Strikes Back in a sense that you, you can't see the first one the same way again. <laughs> um, it has that kind of oh this this is this got serious. <laughs> um, not everything we thought was true was actually true. Um, and yeah, I think it's it's a good movie. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's a weird film, and I think it's one of the very few films that I would say you should probably watch the other things that are around it. And by that, I mean the Animatrix, which is a collection of anime, which is like a a weird collection of anime short films about the Matrix in between the films. Um, And usually never the guy that says, well, you didn't like the film because you didn't read the book. I'm never that guy. I hate Mm -hmm. that idea. It's not a good idea to make your film based on the idea that you you need to read the book or whatever it may be. Um, and that is not the case here, where I think it just helps a bit to watch the animated sort in between the film. Um, and it kind of lets you know the backstory for the actual plot of the second film, which is very weird, but also kind of very unique, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really like this film a lot. And I think it's it kind of a shame that they've gone down in history as the bad sequels or whatever, the bad examples of sequels, because I don't think they are at all. Mm. Um, I think they're very much an example of a good sequel, um, but maybe don't do it all at once um, <laughs> because, again, they filmed the films back to back and I get that it really worked with Lord of the Rings, I get that, but stop. <laughs> Just please stop. <laughs> you don't need to do that. <laughs> you don't need to do that um, every single time. <laughs> yeah, it. It works when you go into it knowing for a fact that you need to make these films at the same time because they're the same plot. Um, like, I think Endgame, Infinity War, they're the same kind of plot thread, so therefore, to me, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Back to the Future, why at the same time? <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're completely sure. different settings. Yeah, it's... The third film starts out with, like, a completely, like, okay, now the plot of this film is, and it's like, why are we doing it at the same time then? Why did I watch the last film? <laughs> um, very weird. Uh, but this, I think these sequels are good. I think the fourth one's going to be interesting. I don't know what they're going to do with it because they, they, I trust them to do whatever they want. Um, and when I say that, usually I just mean the director will make a good film. But in this case, I generally think that the Wachowski sisters will do something genuinely like really unique for a sequel to the matrix that we not might not be expecting um, you know they're gonna go for it don't you uh, yeah similar to what said about Govabinsky and all the others they're not gonna hold back no i mean for number one i mean uh the fact that both trinity and neo die in the end of the trilogy and 
for some reason, they're just back in a new film. Um, and the one character that did live, uh, Morpheus, he's not in the film. Um, it's almost like they're going out of their way to confuse me. And I am enjoying it very much. <laughs> <laughs> we um, enjoy the confusion. We do. I am I am so looking forward to the first trailer. Because I just want to see what it looks like. <laughs> like you just want to get an idea. Yeah. Any idea. Because all, all the moment, every, everything I've seen is just... I think it's it's Keanu and Carrie Ann Moss on the back of a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's That's cool. all I've seen. They're wearing black leather, kind of. So. Of course. That I'd be disappointed if they were wearing anything else. Yeah. yeah, I mean, again, will they do the green tint thing? We don't know. They might not. Might move away from that. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe a pink tint. Oh, oh, pushing the boat be. out there, boys. Exciting, exciting times. <laughs> Maroon. Matrix Four, the pink edition. <laughs> Could do different cuts depending on which what tint you want. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like you go to the cinema and like you're like going to B and Q. Um, so which uh, which colour do you like? You could have uh, pink, maroon, green, purple, brown, blue, <laughs> midnight blue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god! But yeah, I think very good sequels. I think they deserve some more praise. I think people should not be saying, "Oh, the Matrix and its sequels." Don't do that. Be like. The Matrix, and it's very good sequels. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my thoughts. So, yeah. <laughs> good, good. Cool. Um, so, there were, when, when, we, when we were doing sort of deciding on the, the topic, like when I was deciding on what I should go with for this, there are there are a lot of ones that I sort of want to talk about. Um. Well, at least they popped into my mind, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to go for them because I've talked about them a lot. Like when when it comes to franchise finales, for me, you got to have Endgame and Tross in there. <laughs> yeah, because I absolutely adore them, as I, as is well documented. Yeah. <laughs> However, my sort of last film that I'm going to go for isn't them, mainly because I've oh. talked I've talked about them a lot. <laughs> um, instead, I'm going to go for another one, which isn't really the finale. But it is Once in again. my mind. <laughs> or at least it should have been. Yeah. Um, and that's Logan. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> and in a way, it kind of is the final one. Because it, it's the final one to the original sort of X-Men. Yeah. That makes and sense. Because the... for a while, there was sort of the coexistence of the McKellen and um, Stuart X-Men. Mm-hmm. And then you had McAvoy and Fassbender X-Men. Yeah. Um, and for me, this this Logan film is an end to that original Stuart McKellen run. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I've I've managed to justify it as a finale. Mm-hmm. And is it kind of the finale to the, the Wolverine trilogy, I guess? Mm, yeah, yeah, that's true. The whole, whole Hugh Jackman has Wolverine. And it's perhaps... Like when when we when we've talked about um, these finales, um, we we it's sort of the idea that it's the culm it's a gradual culmination of the same story. Mm-hmm. Like especially for um, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, it's those two, um, those second, the second and the third film, they they build on one another. 
Um, they, they are sort of the same storyline that just grows. The Matrix is an example. Those are it's essentially the same story that builds. Even when you look at Infinity War Endgame, it's you know it's the same arc. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Logan is perhaps it's one of the the, the the main finales I can think of that is its own contained story. Mm-hmm. Like you 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 definitely do not need to have seen the previous X Men films to get this film. Not really. No. You, you I mean. You'd, you probably need a loose understanding of the X Men. Mm-hmm. Maybe you, you've, you've you've skimmed through a few comics. You've ca- you've caught little bits of the films. What is a mutant? Yeah, basically, if you can answer that question, you'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> um. And it's it's not this sort of grand epic thing, you know. There's not battles happening, portals opening up, big walls that need to be scaled and defended. Mm-hmm. Um. It is just, it's so desperate people trying to, trying to survive, mm-hmm. but being called to, to be the heroes one last time. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's also the kind of film you expect maybe, it's kind of film you expect maybe 20 years after the original one came out, which it, it technically is. Oh yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you, you know what I mean, where it's like 20 years, but there's been nothing in between. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, almost a Force of... Awakens type thing. Yeah, kind of like a a nostalgia sequel, but also kind of a were we good? <laughs> kind of We're sequel. coming out of retirement. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, um, and it's this, and it it still sort of blows my mind that it does have the aspect to it where it's not. It's probably in terms of especially in terms of comic book films, but in terms of blockbusters as well. It's one of the most emotionally effective ones, mm-hmm. uh, finales and comic films in general. Yet it doesn't have that grandiose aspect to it. Yeah, it's very much a. Uh, it, it's the one of the aspects that I talk about when I talk about Empire Strikes Back is that the scale, like the scale and the importance of it, is increased from A New Hope, which 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 seems weird to say when. The entire rebellion and the planet's at stake from a planet-killing weapon. Mm-hmm. You think it feels weird to say that the scale has been increased when you go from that to just some people on the run. Yeah, in the forest. <laughs> but the reason that the scale is increased is because it's more personal and the things... Well, of course, a planet is something you should care about. Mm-hmm. The scales are increased because ultimately his characters care about each other more than that planet ever did. So. Yeah. And that is what you have in Logan, where it's not the scale being increased because the world's at stake or the universe's at stake. It's the scale being increased because these personal connections, these immense personal connections, these bonds are at stake. Mm -hmm. And because of that, it just feels... It feels big. Yeah. Even though, at the end of the day, in the grand scheme of things, it's... No more than 50 people in the forest at the end. <laughs> yeah. It's just kind of... It's kind of a weird kind of thing that happened where... Kind of a miracle that this film got made. Mm. <laughs> like, it's it's so weird to me that it came out and it's still very good. Um, mm. and, it, and it is what it is with sort of the R rating and just how risky it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's also a film that, you know, it doesn't really... 
it doesn't really have kind of a, a a villain for the most part, I would say. It has a force behind it. Mm. And it doesn't... But I think it's such an admirable, admirable thing that the film kind of went... We want to have a, for the most part, a character study of this one character. And the best way to do that is just to keep it, for the most part, within his one viewpoint. Um, and the film totally commits to that. Um, mm. There's very little kind of... Uh, cut to the villain who's doing this thing it's very much kind of just Logan by himself <laughs> kind of being real limping. sad yeah limping the entire <laughs> way through that is some of the best limping acting I've ever seen in my life mm-hmm. Hugh Jackman take your hat off <laughs> the way he just stumbles around in this film it's so good mm-hmm. um, I love how he smashes up the car I think that's probably my favourite scene in the film um, mm-hmm. when they bury uh, Charles Xavier it's very much it's a weird kind of it's not quite the funeral you would expect for a character in a big franchise film mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah I mean it, it works but as a comparison point I think you know when you think about a big character in a big franchise kind of dying whatever way he does you think about you know Endgame and the Tony Stark funeral which is very much a big a big grand musical swelling um, every character's there kind of paying their respects sort of event um, but the difference I guess is that you've also in this film got very similar sort of death situation but it's just kind of the last two people that are there kind of just wondering damn we lost another person <laughs> <laughs> and it's the, the eternal annoyance of that that Logan has to live with um, as a person who can't die for the most mm-hmm. part Um yeah, it's a it's a great film, and it's it's so good. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. And as, as well, I think the final scenes. It's it's something where like it, it has the, the younger sort of the, the the members of the young group walking to freedom. Over the border, um, and it's something like that is often, and it it sort of did happen in a way where it's like, oh, what's this film setting up? Mm-hmm. And oh, oh, and then and where's it going to go for here? Are we going to get a, a a Laura, a Laura sequel? Is that what we're going to get? We're getting a solo film, mm-hmm. and that kind of frenzy that's sort of taken over is something that I kind of don't resent. <laughs> um, but it's some it's it's like I I I really like the sense with comic book films where you have this kind of predicting thing. I mean, we've seen it in a bad light recently with how people responded to One Division. Yeah, but I I really like the idea of of speculation because I think it's fun. I don't take it too seriously, but I think it's fun and it's part of the whole culture surrounding it. Mm-hmm. However, I know it can be annoying, and so it's when I look at the the ending to this film, I love how it's it's managed in my mind to not be a setup. Yeah, they've managed to use a new beginning as an ending, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it sort of speaks to the idea that this film has ended with this main character that we've been with for 20-odd years mm-hmm. dying. All of, them, yeah. all of them are dead in mostly brutal, depressing fashion. <laughs> um, yet you have them walk off and you feel, yeah, <laughs> I feel hopeful. Good things have happened. <laughs> yeah, and it, 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 just, it just helps you feel like it was... Even despite this low low stakes setting, and perhaps the grimness of the film in general, 
to end where with with this sort of them walking off, it kind of feels like it was for something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a purpose behind their deaths in a way. Yeah, and that's yeah. I, I think I, I think I love the fact that when you think about how that moment, the funeral um, of Logan, is kind of presented. Um, it's very much this easy way where you, you could almost imagine the camera kind of uh, going on a crane and kind of going above the forest and then looking towards the sunset and where the children are going off to. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead what we get is a shot that kind of doesn't really follow the kids, but rather we stay on the grave and then Laura turns the, the cross into an X. Mm-hmm. Um, Broke my heart when they did the cinema. That's <laughs> <break> me. <laughs> And it kind of stays there, and then it cuts to black. And it's kind of a visual kind of way of the saying, there is a future in this universe. Um, I imagine Fox probably did want to go to the future and do more films in their own universe. But I think it's a great last shot of just kind of uh, things did go on. Mutants might have got your hand back again, or whatever, or might have not, who knows. But this is the story being over, and this is the meaning of this one character's journey in long, in the long run. Um, I think that's a pretty remarkable way for a franchise to end, especially so weird franchise of like great films and then really bad films <laughs> uh, to end on such a good note. And I think me and you probably agree that the franchise kind of ends with both Days of Future Past and then Logan. Mm, um, yeah. I kind of ignore Apocalypse and and Dark Phoenix, and I guess New Mutants now. <laughs> um, I still haven't seen that. Same. <laughs> uh, I kind of just ignore they exist. I think this is the perfect ending. I think if you watch any more films, it's just kind of like, why would you? <laughs> um, because they're not very good, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, Logan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my last one. <laughs> uh, I think I've got one last one. Go on. Uh, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to go for my last one being the Deathly Hallows Part 1 and Part 2 from Harry Potter. Okay, yeah. Um, again, it falls into that category of just, you need the time for, to make these films big. <laughs> <laughs> and they made it so big that it's two films. <laughs> um, which again, is a decision that I really, really respect. Um, I think it would have been a total mistake. I don't think it would have made the film necessarily the, a bad film, but I do think it would have been definitely a mistake if this last film was just one film for the biggest book. Or maybe, I don't think it's the biggest book, but, um, you know, a pretty big book and the finale into one, two hour, two and a half hour film. I think it would have been a big mistake. Um, especially with the task that they got to do in this film, mm-hmm. which I remember, I remember when I watched Harper Prince in the cinema and then not knowing that the next one was going to be part one, part two. And realizing that they've got to find eight objects around the world and got to destroy them with a very specific object. And then, then we've got to kill Voldemort. That's a lot of things to do, like in a two, maybe three hour movie. I remember even back then, as a young Henry who had no idea how screenwriting worked or whatever, I just, even then I was panicking, like, this finale could really drop the ball. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, but no, they did uh, part one, part two, and it became quite popular in blockbuster form. People did that quite a lot. Um, every, every, every franchise under the sun. <laughs> yeah, I think to the point of like actual harm to the film, because I I haven't seen all the Hunger Games, but I know for a fact that the consensus is the fact that the finale 
did not need to be two films. <laughs> um, and the first film kind of, the first part of the final film kind of hinders itself by being that sort of film. Um, but I think I, sometimes it's one of the things where I prefer the first part or I prefer, I prefer the second part. I can never really decide. Um, the first film, the first part is very much a slow kind of uh, contemplative uh, journey where characters kind of, characters kind of at the lowest before the actual climax um, where our three to your friends kind of start to dislike each other and kind of break apart. Um, and the plot is the, at the most dire it's ever been. It's the most dark, it's the most gruesome, the most kind of hopeless. Um, and the film ends not on a, not really on a cliffhanger, not really on a, a moment of, yeah, the next one's coming, therefore we're going to be fine, maybe, hopefully. Um, it's more or less just kind of a character dies and we're kind of just there kind of thinking, right, okay, <laughs> this is sad. And it kind of gives you that, especially if you watch it in a marathon kind of order of one after the other, it kind of gives you that sense of kind of waiting to the next film. Because um, you know the the consequences that actually are going to be present in the actual last chapter, I guess. Um, and then the final film happens, and it's similar to The Matrix 3. It's, for the most part, just a big battle for two hours. Um, and again, it doesn't go into that that kind of fault that it could have easily have done, where it falls into just being very, very loud for two hours. <laughs> um, it kind of has character imbued within it and conflict and themes and ideas and I'm very much aware and I think I do agree to a certain extent that the ending isn't perfect I do think there's a very much a consensus out there that the final film it kind of missed a few opportunities and I mm-hmm. definitely do agree I think especially with Draco I never understood why they made some choices that they made with him because um, there's a, a deleted scene and it's I think it's available like somewhere um, of Draco like actively helping Harry Potter and not just kind of leading the battle with his parents like in the film um, and it kind of always leaves kind of a foul taste map like kind of like it's weird kind of I think you didn't drop the ball but you definitely almost dropped the ball there <laughs> on the character arc um, and it's again I think uh, the book has this, has its upper hand in some, in some ways of being a longer narrative and also the fact that um when Voldemort dies it's not such it's not really a a private thing between him and Harry it's not a mystical death where he kind of floats into ash and all these other things it's more kind of a he was just a guy he was really evil and not the thing he thought he was and he kind of has a very much a an unceremonious death mm-hmm. um and in the film it doesn't really go that way it's very much a big grand mystical death and I do agree that that was kind of a a missed idea. That I don't think the they really realized what they were doing when they changed that. Um, and I did, yeah, I just think it's I have my flaws with it as a finale because I think it's I mean it was these films were my childhood. Like they were I I was born and I saw Harry Potter. It's one of those things <laughs> where I I was born and then the first thing I saw was Harry Potter probably because it was out. Um, and it kind of paralleled me going to school. Um, I think it, we were very much a very fortunate generation in this sense of 
these films came out as we were going to school like they were going to school each year. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's true. That's a very special thing. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think it's a great franchise of many great films. I don't think there's one bad film in the bunch, aside from the newer one <laughs> mm. um, with Crying of Grindelwald, which is a film that happened. Um, <laughs> but these films are great, and I think this finale is a very, very good finale. Um, mm. Would you agree? Yeah. Like the, the, the high, again, similar to Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter was, for me, was never what stuff like Star Wars was to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never got completely into it. I still don't think to this day I've seen these films in order. <laughs> really? I've, I've seen them all. I know that for a fact. But I don't think I've seen them all in order. Not on ITV. <laughs> oh yeah, that's why I've like caught them. But I think I've caught them in different runs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I always, I still, it, it speaks volumes again that even though I have only viewed them like that, I still, I still get the feeling in the the, the very final one mm-hmm. of this is the big battle. Here we go. They've been through a lot here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I do still, whenever I catch it, I do still thoroughly enjoy that, um, that the, the, the finale and the way the characters work in relation to each other. The, the fates of several characters I genuinely, gen, generally quite like. <laughs> um, and yeah, it, it's, it's, it's spectacle, it's done well. It's one of, like you say, it's one of the cases where you have these back to back sort of filming things and it is done well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and that, that helps it helps it enormously. Again again they do kind of have a framework of the books to go with. Like I do question when if, when when people decide to do parts one and part two when they're not adapting something. <laughs> yeah. That's thoroughly questionable. I mean the only time I think I can get quite away with it is um well, actually, no, I don't think I've ever seen it done where they've not adapted something. <laughs> I don't think it, so, no. It's, it has generally been an adaption of something. Yeah. Anyway. Um, I Yeah, it's a thoroughly enjoyable finale, and even someone who hasn't really properly seen most of it, I feel like it just generally works well. Yeah. It's, and it, yeah. It, it definitely balances all the things that it's doing at the same time incredibly well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a film that doesn't lose fact of like what the films are trying to say and the way the books are trying to say things um mm-hmm. despite the writer being a person who was a person um, <laughs> um but there is like this weird kind of back and forth in the entire in all the films um about death and mm-hmm. the kind of i mean our main character is defined by death <laughs> um and i think it's incredible that the final film finally kind of gives an answer to all that all those questions and i think it kind of culminates my favorite scene in maybe the whole franchise but definitely in this film the the last film um i love the the scene where um i don't know if you've seen it but like the 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 remember it uh but the the scene where harry kind of for a moment kind of dies and then goes to yeah i've seen it yeah it's that scene it's an incredible scene. I think it's probably it's one of those examples where, sure, your finale should go big and it should like, especially in a big like you know a fantasy genre or a superhero genre, definitely go big. 
I mean, that is the genre. Um, and, you know, go for it. But at the same time, uh, don't forget, like, what you were saying from the get-go. And I think this film doesn't forget that. And I think the the heaven, like, kind of weird heaven train scene with Dumbledore and Harry is just a perfect kind of... If you had to explain Harry Potter and what it's all about in one scene, it would be this scene. Um, and it came in the, in the form of the final film, which is an incredible kind of positive that you have in your final film if you can mm-hmm. condense it all into one clear kind of maybe even on the nose kind of scene of like this is what we're about <laughs> um and i i deeply respect that all the time whenever it happens and i think it's a film franchise with many kind of great moments of characters kind of overcoming the themes of the the story and i think it's whether it's hard the, th- the fifth one where harry's kind of getting his mind, mind attacked by Voldemort and he's kind of trying to survive it and he has realised he has friends and family and that's why he's better than Voldemort. Yeah. So, so many great moments I dearly like just love in this franchise. And yeah, it's just, it's a great finale. And it has my I do have my issues just I think I do share some issues with people that do have issues with it. But on the whole it is a I would say it's a great finale. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> So that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I think we've, we've we've gone over quite a few great finales there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all beloved the ones. ones. Some some not so beloved, but beloved by us. The most beloved one, Spider Man Three. Everyone knows it. Yeah, everybody loves it. <laughs> Universally recognised as the greatest tri- trilogy ender ever. Yep, it's the blueprint. Uh, Nobody <laughs> all the object, object to us liking it. <laughs> Nobody. We'll see, we'll see. <laughs> anyway, right, so take us home? Yeah, take us home. Okay, right. Uh, so thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this one. Uh, if you have any of your uh, opinions on this, any favourites that we haven't mentioned, or any disagreements or agreements that you have with us, uh, let us know in the comments or the feedback or the reviews or whatever you can. Just let us know. Give us a little nod. <laughs> um, and we will try to respond and let you know that you're an idiot, you're the worst person in the world. <laughs> um, no, uh, we'll be very nice to you. Um, but I hope you enjoyed this one. Uh, also, oh yeah, and also, we do have an Instagram account um, at Marvelous in a Podcast where we do every other day reviews and weekly podcasts on Monday. Um, and also have a Twitter account at Cinema Marvelous where we do similarly the same thing over there. Um, every other day reviews and podcasts are coming out on Monday. So go over there, give us a like, give us a comment. Uh, whatever you want to do, <laughs> uh, throw out your phone because social media is bad for you and your mind. Maybe, <laughs> but also don't because we need you. So don't leave us alone. Um, <laughs> where am I going with this? Uh, <laughs> we'll get there. It's okay. We'll bring you right, back in. Okay. Goodbye. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have fun. Yeah. Goodbye. goodbye. See you soon. <laughs>